This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me today, Cam Rastlan, we have the returns of. He is uh, an actor, a director, and a writer. He is Naam Murad. Hi, guys. Good to be back. Great to have you. And he is, uh, well, I'm going to actually ask him to tell me because I, I never quite know, but he is certainly my go-to guy for one for tech, but also for young people things, even though he's not a young person. <laughs> Matt Armitage, what is it that you do? Describe it again. Uh, I'm a strategic communications consultant, mostly, uh, and a broadcaster. God, I wish I could say that. Sounds cool. I like that. So our three topics this week, topic number one is, should I cancel Spotify? Topic number two is Malaysian superheroes. And finally, uh, topic number three is how come Stranger Things is so popular with young people? So uh, with topic number one, Matt, Spotify has been in the news. Well, it has. The uh, Joe Rogan Experience, which is a podcast that Spotify acquired, uh, I think, in 2020 uh, for a, a licensing deal that was worth something like 100 million US dollars. Uh, and Joe Rogan, of course, uh, is the most popular podcast host on the planet. I think the show has something like 200 million monthly downloads or streams. I mean, the numbers are absolutely staggering. Uh, but he's been under fire recently for promoting uh, uh, COVID conspiracies, uh, for promoting drugs like ivermectin. And there's been a, a backlash with artists like uh, uh, Neil Young. Well, Neil Young kind of led it. He was the first artist to say, you know, unless uh, Spotify pulls Joe Rogan, they can't have my music. So obviously Spotify uh, said, well, you know, we've paid Joe Rogan $100 million, so we're sticking with Joe Rogan. Uh, so Neil Young has pulled his music. Uh, and in the wake of that, a bunch of other people have also come off the platform, uh, people like Joni Mitchell, Crosby, Stills and Nash, uh, Graham Nash as well, uh, Nils Lofgren, uh, the soul singer India Ari. So in light of all of this, I'm a very heavy Spotify user. I have hundreds of playlists. And I've been asking myself, should I quit Spotify? And it's not just down to this issue of the company spreading uh, misinformation or having uh, dubious content from, from podcasts. It's also because it has uh, some of the lowest artist royalty rates as well compared to the the other streaming platforms. So really the 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 kind of thing with Joe Rogan is is this the the you know the the straw that uh, broke the donkey's back uh and uh, is it time for for me to leave the platform. Hey Matt, do you know how much they do pay the artists for downloads on Spotify? It's very hard to get um, completely accurate figures because Spotify charges different uh, rates in different countries. So the it's not going to be a uniform rate. If the stream comes from India, the artist will earn a lower rate than a, a stream from the US because the, uh, the, the monthly subscriptions in those countries are different. Uh, but it works out to something like 0. 0.003, so it's about a third of a cent per stream, I believe, uh, according to, to one set of figures I've seen. Essentially, I mean, to, to see it in a, a an easier kind of sense, you're looking at uh, something around, uh, what would it be? 
I think for a, about a million streams, it comes up to like $1,500 or something like that. Oof. Yeah. That's not, not a lot. But um, um, Do you Matt, have... No, I don't. I'm not a Spotify person. But, but um, see, if you were to quit Spotify, Matt, do you have a choice? Um, anything else? Is, is there an alternative which would, you know, assuage your guilt about, you know, the, the, the royalties or anything? Is there anything better at that? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I already have Apple Music uh, because uh, my wife prefers Apple Music. Uh, my brothers use Apple Music in the, the UK. So when I'm sharing music with them, I use Apple Music. But uh, I find that Spotify is a much better music discovery platform. I still listen to a lot of new music. So for me, Spotify is the, the kind of better platform. Uh, I have experimented with uh, uh, Tidal as well. Um, Tidal kind of leads the uh, the way in terms of the the rates that it pays out to to artists, but even I think um, Apple Music pays almost double what Spotify pays. Oh wow! Yeah, Amazon pays a lot more. I mean, there's there's loads of other services. I mean, there's Pandora, there's Deezer, Amazon, uh, Amazon Music, Apple Music. Uh, YouTube has its own music service, and and also because I, I I have a premium subscription for YouTube, so I have YouTube's music service included in that subscription as well. Uh, I think uh, I think because I have a a, a Prime subscription in the UK because it makes it easier to deliver things to my family. Uh, I think I also have the Amazon Music as well. So I've already got all of these other alternatives. But Spotify is the one that I, I tend to, to use. It's my, my go-to because it has the, uh, the best kind of catalog of the uh, more kind of underground music that, that I like. And it's much better at music discovery. Well, I do have Spotify. I rarely use it. So very rarely. And in fact, ironically, I think the last time I used it was listen to Joni Mitchell. <laughs> and so, but if Joni Mitchell says leave Spotify, then I am duty bound to leave Spotify. I have to do what Joni says. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I probably will because I, I so rarely use it. But I can see what you mean. There's that that tussle. But I mean, you are convinced by the the moral argument, as it were. Then. Well, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that I am. I mean, certainly, I think Spotify needs to to do a lot more. I mean, they've they've gone back to that default argument that a lot of the tech companies have that, you know, we're just a platform. We're not responsible for the content, and that I could understand if it was just a pass-through podcast. I mean, like my own podcasts feature on Spotify uh, because I, I choose to syndicate on them, but it's just a pass-through. I upload them and, and they pull them from, from the feed. But with Joe Rogan, they've signed a commercial deal. They've signed an exclusive license with him. So to fall back on uh, that argument that they're not responsible for the content that the content providers make, mm. that's kind of a specious argument because they're paying Joe Rogan's bills to make those arguments uh, in in his shows. Um, but they have said they have said that they will now put a content warning for anything um, relating to COVID nineteen. I guess it's the least they can do. And, and have you heard Joe Rogan's response? Um, yeah, I mean Joe Rogan he he put a, a put out a video I think. Uh, uh, on the uh, Sunday following all of this, uh, which said that he aims to do better. But, you know, it's it's part of that media ecosphere which equates asking questions with uh, something being a, a sort of a relevant or genuine intellectual pursuit. I mean, you know, is the earth flat? No, we know it's not. 
So, you know, it's not just about asking questions. Facts do get get in the way. And Joe Rogan has been part of this, uh, of, or at least from my point of view, he's been part of this, pushing this agenda that we can explore topics that we know are not factually based under the premise of, of asking questions. So we can allow people with, frankly, weird and unbelievable views to, to have a platform as though they were some kind of credible expert. Mm. Well, I, I certainly am looking forward to taking horse dewormer when the tablets finally come in a chewable form. Um, uh, <laughs> I, think, I think it'd be delicious. But I, I would say that if, if you are out there and you have a child, a son especially, and the son is anything from 10 years upwards, Joe Rogan is, is raising your child, not you. I've met so many fathers who are saying, oh, yeah, my son really likes to listen to Joe Rogan. Yeah, Joe Rogan's raising your child, not you. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't know if you've ever tried to listen to the show. I've tried to listen to it a few times. And a lot of them go on for like two, three, four hours. And I simply don't have the, the stamina to, to listen to it. And most of it is just meandering. I mean, you know, we struggle to pull 45 minutes together on, on this show. So how does he pull sort of four hours together Steroids. with well, it, exactly. But, you know, when they when the guests are just kind of mumbling nonsense in kind of the way I'm doing now, how do you get through four hours of that? Yeah, we'll try it one day. I've never lasted an entire show, even if the topic is quite innocuous. I I, 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 I like listening to his uh, martial artsy stuff because he's really into that. Mm -hmm. But even then, he, you get just one point of view from somebody and it eventually will lead to sort of like like, one point of view being hammered into your skull because he usually does not negate anything uh, that, that, that his guests Exactly. Mm. So you have say. these circular discussions. And also, how long can you actually hammer that one point of view before everyone exactly. falls asleep? Well, uh, we, we're, we're going to move on, though. But so I just want to ask you, Matt, your feelings are that you will or will not? I'm, I'm really... I'm really not sure at this point because I can't find what I get from Spotify on any of the other platforms. And also I have the added complication that uh, I have bubbling under, uh, which I haven't promoted as yet, uh, a music podcast that I started. And I can only do that through Spotify because that's the only one that gives the licensing for the music. Mm. Perhaps if you're lucky, um, if, if enough people leave Spotify, then it may push the other uh, music providers to fill in the blanks. Hopefully that will happen. And, you know, I mean, knowing that, that, that their number one competitor is beginning to be shaky and is about to topple. And that Matt Armitage is on Apple Music. I mean, they'll be like, we've got to go. We can't do it. I think so. But uh, I mean, just, I know you want to move on, Cam, but just as a, as a last point, but again, you know, is it morally any better moving to uh, a music service hosted by Google or Apple or Amazon? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, anyway, the easiest thing is, Matt, just stop listening to new music and young people music and you're done. Listen to Johnny Mitchell somewhere else and you're happy. Good heavens, I'd be dead. <laughs> so uh, we're going to move on and we'll keep us posted on that one, Matt. And so uh, topic number two, uh, Na'a Murad, is Malaysian superheroes. I know, yeah, I, I decided to do the, the, the fan-friendly, um, popular kind of things so that, you know, all the... Uh, millennials would go like, oh, I, I like that topic. Okay, um, well, superheroes technically began with Superman, they say. 
and he was based on um, John Carter of Mars, and of course, you know, various legends and myths, Western legends and myths, Hercules and, and whatnot. Um, and what um, differentiated Superman as the first superhero from everything that came before, I'm not terribly sure. But then, you know, the, the, the term was, was, was there to stay, superhero, which I think now it is a battle between the copyright of who owns the, the term superhero, Marvel or DC. Those are the two big comic book um, companies, uh, as you might know. And um, yeah, so, so that's been the story of, of superheroes over, over the years. Uh, it's like um, um, they were patriotic super beings. There's always science involved, you know, like Captain America was part of a, a scientific experiment to create a super soldier. A lot of myths and legends are used to base the origins of the superheroes, like um, you're from Atlantis or, or you know, um, Asgard or something like that. But with Malaysia, we've had, we've had um, uh, it's been very vague. In Indonesia, there's a superhero that's been around since the 1950s and everybody in Indonesia knows of this guy. I, I, I can't recall the name, mixture of mythology and, 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 and stuff. But um, in Malaysia, who, who do we have? We, we don't really have anybody popular. O over the years, there have been, been several. Everybody kind of remembers something called Chichap Man. Mm -hmm. And that's just a parody of, of Spider-Man. Things like Kluang Man, who is a parody of Batman. So everything is just basically an aping, or, or, or you know, sometimes an amusing parody of the West. And we've had, um, then we have gone back to our legends. Uh, like, for example, the superhero Badang. There was a movie version a few years ago, which was... I haven't seen, but consensus where it was terrible. And that's based on a legend, a Malay legend of a man who, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody out there, that he, he swallowed the bile of a, of a jinn or some, some, some mythical creature, which gave, and it gave him, I mean, there must be an easier way to get superpowers, right? But he, he became then a super being. He was, he was very strong. Um, later versions in, in comics, Malaysian comics, have turned it into the bile of, um, of an alien creature or something. So basically, there is some... Um, return to, to using mythology to create a Malaysian superhero. Sometimes it is science, um, and, but most of the time it's just parody. It's just parodying Spider-Man or, or Superman or Captain America or somebody. So here we are without an, a name, without, without a, 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 a universally known Malaysian superhero that, that, that represents all our ideals and, and our culture or what, what have you, you know? I mean, like, with, with Marvel in the 60s, they decided to make the characters more relatable, as in Spider-Man. He's a, he's a struggling, penniless um, high school student, later to become a, a college student. And you, know, you, you, had, you had characters which were completely based on science, like Iron Man um, and, and people like that. So it moved away from, from the older views, and it keeps changing. Now you have Western superheroes who, are, who have multiples. Uh, this, this associative uh, identity disorder, all kinds of things. So, so you get you get superheroes from all walks of life, from all different. But they're all they're all American. They're all American usually, or or, or you know, um, a, a migrant. Doctor Strange is he's American, but he but he sort of has Asian he's influences. No, but he's still very 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 American. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so so what about Malaysia? I mean, do you guys have any? You know, what do you think would be something relevant for today, or something that? that uh, would be popularly um, accepted by as many people as possible. What kind of Malaysian superhero? I mean, we are becoming a very divisive society. And I'm not really sure, you know, what would, would please mm. people. Um, before, before you guys answer, I will just give my usual stock ridiculous answer. Uh, I, I think 
the way we should go is, is I don't know if you guys remember this, um, but both of you being um, having a lot of uh, British influence, um, you remember Judge Dredd from 2018. Yes, of mm. course. Of course you do, right? Everybody remembers. So I would think we, we should have a character that is that strict and, and, and morally straight and, and perhaps even um, uncompromising, you know, a uh, Hakim Horrible or whatever, somebody, you know, some, <laughs> somebody very, very um, uncompromising. But Judge Dredd, Judge Dredd is not, um, I mean, you, you, you'd... Technically, yeah. But no, but also he was not... Um, he wasn't British, yeah. Oh, he wasn't British. He was, he was a future America, yeah. Yeah, and also he was not somebody you necessarily agreed with. You didn't necessarily agree with the whole concept of a person who could be a judge, jury, and executioner. Exactly, yeah. but that could that could be very interesting for the. Uh, it would, it would um, some people would take it literally and go, yes, he's very strict about everything, and he's very strict about whatever issues. Uh, we won't get into it, but whatever issues that 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 Malaysians are divided or on the fence about, he'll be like, no, um, you, um, you, you know, he would he would he would do, he would be satirical in that sense. I mean, he would do something that's con- considered draconian, and yet, like you said, the satire is: is he right? Yeah, because it's actually very fascistic. He is, yeah. I mean, uh, Matt, 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 do you have a? Well, I was, I was going to say there, there was a, an extension of Dredd's character. There was the, the, the flip side of his psyche, which was um, Judge Death, uh, who took it to another extreme. And his catchphrase was, uh, "The crime is life; the punishment is death." But that was really only taking uh, Dredd's own philosophy a few steps further uh, to turn him into the villain rather than the hero. Because mm. I, I, I think that with, uh, I mean, I look at other, the thing with having a character be American is that it has a kind of um, a universal reach in that Superman can conceivably fly. He can fly around the world, can't he, in a moment. And he could have a relevance if he's flying over Paris or the Great Wall of China. It's sort of like some, but if you have a Malaysian character who has that power, somehow you'd kind of feel, you know, it's like, you know, is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's a Malay. What's a Malay? Uh, you know, yeah. where, Malaysia, where's that? What? Uh, you know, it, it just, it would be a little, I don't know. It, just it, could, it could be interesting. I mean, what if his superpowers were to make, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a situation which has no clear answers, that who's right, who's wrong, he's very good at coming up with really, really dumb excuses. You know, he would, he would go like, well, actually, you know, I read somewhere that, and, and if he still can't get anywhere, he just shoots both sides. You know, some, something, <laughs> something quite, quite ridiculous like that. But Superman, in the, in, the, in, the, in the 80s and the 90s, declared that he was a citizen of the world. He, he went up to, in one of the comics, he went up to the United Nations and said, I am now a citizen of the world. And it was a nice move from DC Comics, but the American fans really didn't like it. They, they protested. They're like, he's American. He's, he's all American hero. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think a superpower would be if, if, if uh, a Malaysian superpower would be if the person could actually turn up to a meeting on time. That, <laughs> that would be remarkable. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, so so he, he comes late to solve all of the crimes. <laughs> <laughs> or he comes all the time. On time. The crime has not even started yeah. yet. In fact, you're too it's early. So... What? <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, just a, a question now. Would you consider something like um, Bowboy Boy to be a, a superhero? Yes, uh, that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. Um, well, Boy by Boy is interesting because it, it, it goes exactly for the science fiction element. So there, there's, there's nothing, you know, basically, and it's for children, so it does not have to have 
any other Malaysian identity except for the characters. The fact that the characters are what you would consider uh, stereotypes of Malaysian kids. Um, won't go into that, but you can, you can imagine it. So it's incredibly popular. It's very funny. It's, it's cute. And it stays away from any kind of, because it's for kids, it stays away from any kind of overarching uh, issues by just making it about your basic villains, aliens, and, and invading, and, and, and you know, regular ground-level crooks and mad scientists and things like that. So um, that could be a Malaysian thing, but, but you know. Yeah, we must move on. But I do think that uh, I kind of like the fact that Malaysians don't have the, are not presumptuous enough to think that they can create a superhero that has relevance around the world. Mm. Relevance to Malaysia, perhaps? <laughs> well, yeah, but that's okay. But I mean, like, it's so presumptuous to think that I can be a... Superman is now a citizen of the world. Well, hang on a second. Mm. I mean, I, you know, I didn't issue you a passport. I mean, even the Japanese superheroes, they just stay in Japan, right? Tokyo, in fact. I mean, yeah. No other part of Japan ever gets invaded. But, but Tokyo is destroyed every time. It's really, it's shocking. Their, their, their performance level is very poor. Um, <laughs> but their insurance coverage must be incredibly <laughs> high now. Yes. <laughs> it's like... Okay, yes. Um, we're going to move on, though. And in a moment, we're going to be uh, in the similar vein, I think, talking about uh, Stranger Things and its appeal to young people here on A Bit of Culture on BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Rustler, Nat Amurat, and Matt Armitage. And now, topic number three, uh, I want to talk about a brand new television show. It's just come out, fresh off the press. It's called Stranger Things. And I've just watched it, and it's really, really good. And they've had four seasons within the last few days, right? It's brand new. <laughs> no, brand new. If, if I've only just watched it, it's brand new. It's brand new. How could you? <laughs> Uh, I stayed away from it for a long time because I thought it was going to be kind of like the Goonies or it was a very good film, Super 8, but it was just like kids running around too much. There was no, mm, you know, but this, Stranger Thing has real heart and multi-generational as well. It's really good. And one of the things that struck me about it, though, was that the references inside that, the drama that it's alluding to, the, the horror that's alluding to is all, it's all really 1980s, even 1970s. I mean, it's like, it's uh, John Carpenter. The music is very John Carpenter. It's John Carpenter's The Thing. It's E.T. The music is Duran Duran. And I was wondering, I know this show is very popular. In fact, the, a survey in the States uh, seemed to suggest that 31% of all 18 to 25-year-olds watched every episode of the first season. I mean, that's an astonishing amount. That's the kind of numbers you, do, you haven't got since, since there were only three TV channels. <laughs> that everybody would watch the same thing. And I just couldn't help wondering, I mean, there are kids on bicycles. I mean, even I was like, when, when they're in a quandary, it's like, well, just look it up on Google. But you can't, they can't do that. Or just tell an adult. And, and they wouldn't. The whole, the whole Scooby-Doo thing is very strong. It's like kids doing it for themselves. Yeah. Kind of thing. And you know, we three are pretty much children of that time. I mean, Matt Armitage, he's a youngster compared to us. But uh, oh, I'm a hipster. And he's a hipster. But we were, I mean, I, I certainly was uh, one of the kids on bikes. We would, we would go out all day, come back when the sun goes down. Parents not knowing where we Sometimes were. Sometimes not even then. Yeah. yeah. What bike did you have, Cam? Was it a, a rally grifter? I cannot remember the, it was a rally. But before that, I briefly had a chopper, which were like. Yeah, of course. The so cool dangerous. kids. <laughs> yeah. I, I had all a chopper had the choppers. before that era. Yeah. Then I became a, I was more on a skateboard, which was uh, pretty much the same thing. So how come 
a show that the references that it's set in a world long past so uncool it can be so popular i i mean you think of other shows that have been popular and they're always set contemporaneously i mean like buffy in its day was set in its day right and and the show for kids now will have all the bells and whistles and all the gadgets and everything mm. of 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 today yeah you know it occurred to me that that when i was say a teenager back in the day and um living that life i mean watching those movies um it would be that the 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 comparison would be being obsessed about movies from the 40s and i, I oh. suppose there were certain movies from the 40s which were iconic i mean everybody had king kong or casablanca or whatever and you, you you got a chance to to watch them but you wouldn't really know what teenagers did in the 40s they didn't have movies or shows about you know kids riding up on on horses or or, or dinosaurs or whatever it was then um solving mysteries or, or, or doing things. It was all very adult programming. And also you couldn't really, at that time, the best you could have was a VHS copy, uh, a VHS, a VCR player and play VHS tapes. I think the difference being that today, the 15 to 25s or, or whatever category you were talking about, they can watch anything they want, snap of a finger. You know, um, they've, they've all seen ET. They've all seen... Again and again, the Terminator and and you know all those Stallone and Schwarzenegger movies of the eighties. Have they though? Have they? I, I, because it's easier to get, I think. So it's much easier for them to be familiar with it. I don't think we were as familiar in the eighties about anything before the sixties, maybe or even the seventies. Mm. It was very difficult. Matt, you're 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 you you have a you you understand young people. Well, I I think I think people like the aesthetic they like the um they like the kind of day glow and the neon so it gives you an excuse to use these oversaturated colors on the on the screen so they're very kind of visually appealing so you can you can play with color a lot more and stranger things goes from these kind of neon hues to these these very kind of dark hues but just going to to part of um Maha's point about the the bells and whistles the bells and whistles kind of make storytelling very boring when you see technology shown in movies, you know, you see the shows about, you know, kids communicating via text mm. or Zoom, it makes for very kind of static narrative. And I've I've heard a lot of the writers of these shows saying that they've deliberately set them in the past because it makes the narrative simpler for them. They well, don't you said, have... Like Cam said something about, why do you just Google something, right? Yeah, pre precisely. And you, you don't have mobile phones. You don't have the internet. You don't have all of these things. You can have kids on bikes outside because they're not inside playing video games. They're going to the, the neighborhood video arcade um one of the uh i think atomic blonde which was a kind of um charlie's theron uh superhero type movie that came out um a few years ago and is based on a, a graphic novel again they said that they set that in the the late 80s because culturally it's close enough for people to be able to recognize now but it doesn't come with all the technological accoutrements so they can make a classic kind of spy superhero film that doesn't have to have all of the, the kind of gadgets in. They can just have old Porsches rolling around on cobbled streets and nobody questions it. I mean, James Bond would, would never take a hair from his head and stick it to a door with spit to, to, to see whether he, he would have yeah. you know, little gadgets and things. That was in Doctor No in 1963. And, and I have to say, I was so impressed when I saw him do that. Yes. <laughs> that so cool. Wow, so, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now we just think, wow, have I got enough hair to actually spare one?
Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think that uh, one of the uh, I didn't realize it was being a conscious effort though amongst uh, filmmakers. But yeah, if you can liberate the children, the characters, if you can have them be free to go wherever they please, as opposed to just having to be stay, staying inside because the world is dangerous outside, then you open up so many storytelling possibilities. And they do repeat that in Stranger Things when they go to the parents and say, you know, where, where's your son? And they say, oh, I don't know. Um, I thought he was with you. Or they, they yeah. you know, they just come and go. I don't know. <laughs> Recently, I, 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 uh, well, in 2020, I was writing something which had children in it, and it was an adventure thing. And I found it very difficult to explain why the kids don't just pick up their phones and just call for help. So I had to make excuses constantly about why they didn't have cell phones, why these kids were off in a very dangerous adventure and did not have cell phones. It was very difficult. It was very difficult. I found myself changing things to make it make sense. And, and you're right. It just was a different time. It was the, the way we see, the way we get nostalgic about certain eras as being more of an era of adventure, simply because of the way things were. And I think the 80s feels that way to, to a 20-something today, I think. Yeah. yeah. It reminded me, though, that there's a, a character who's way older than anything from Stranger Things, um, Sherlock Holmes who was fairly recently updated in Sherlock. And it has all the bells and whistles of technology and texting and whatnot. But I think it, did, it, it actually worked with it very well. It managed to you know, still have the storytelling, but use that digital sphere, you, honestly. Yeah, yes, it does. But I, I think they relied on the device of um, Holmes being you know, somewhere on the autistic spectrum to to make him stand out from the culture and to make him him think normally. So they still had to come up with a device for why Holmes is slightly unusual. And that was their kind of their, their plot device for using that. His mind palace and the way yeah. he sees things. And also I think um what, what they did with Sherlock Holmes is they didn't turn it into your your typical um procedural where there's a lot of your regular investigations where, where, where Holmes goes home and, and goes on a computer or questions people, he's always thinking of solving the problem on the spot where it's just him and his brain or, or, or the situation is such that, that somebody's bleeding in front of him. So he has to um, figure out how to do X, Y, and Z on the spot yeah. without the help of technology. And if they push the plot, the plots are usually go along those lines so that you, you, you don't have the... You you don't have time to bring in the bells and whistles, basically. But but eventually you, you won't be able to. You can't keep uh, setting things in the eighties. I mean, you can't. You just can't. Well, no. I mean, but culturally, that that that's where people are looking at the moment. I mean, if uh, you know, Friends, which is, I know it's a nineties icon, but it's much more connected to that kind of eighties culture. Friends is still the most popular streaming show on any of the the streaming services. Yeah, but with young so, people, though. Yes, with young people. With new yeah. audiences. Yeah, with new audiences. Yeah, it's people who are discovering oh, it for the first time because they're, they're, they're finding something, again, very kind of simple and classic in the narrative. We're finding a lot of 80s and 90s influenced music. Uh, and even the, the kind of production, those kind of bright, big, brittle productions that were common in the, uh, the kind of mid-80s are being repeated in a lot of uh, popular music today as well. So definitely the, the culture is kind of focused on that in the same way that uh, I remember in the kind of late 80s when it was Acid House and, uh, you know, the, the the second summer of love in 1989. 
we were looking back to 1969 and that that summer of love. I mean, you know, the popular culture always has these cycles that the grunge movement in uh, the, the mid 90s, the early 90s and mid 90s was very kind of 70s focused that brought back um you know, Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and all these kind of really uh, deep metal uh, hard rock bands. Uh, so, you know, it's it's just part of that that circle. And now, what we're seeing um, with a lot of the the Gen Z trends uh, and and fashions is that they're now looking to the early two thousands. So we're seeing, yeah. So we're seeing a lot of uh, repeat of the the kind of um, indie uh, guitar boy styles and uh, music. So we're we're seeing a return to that kind of uh, winkle picker and uh, funny hair and uh, all all that kind of thing. So these things intentionally just... bad CGI yeah. maybe even yeah, <laughs> yeah. well <laughs> potentially I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap it up though but I just say that I I feel very gratified because I'm suddenly culturally relevant again and <laughs> yes yeah. and I think the three of us are I think the three of us should have a, a, get some bicycles and just sort of cycle around and have adventures and <laughs> and the kids will think we're so cool. We won't get very far. <laughs> well, we can have electric bikes. Yeah, True. Also, yeah. No, well, okay, but no. Sa- save our osteoporotic <laughs> knees. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, so we're going to move on, though, to uh, the final part of the show, uh, recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Matt Armitage goes first. And he's going to do something young and hip, isn't he? Uh, yes, I'm going to do uh, a book called Dreamland by uh, an investigative journalist called Sam Kinones. And it's uh, an investigation into the um, heroin and uh, Oxycontin epidemics in the US that hit the kind of from the early 2000s up to the the, the mid sort of 2014s. Uh, I've read a lot of the, the ones that are about uh, Purdue Pharma and that kind of thing. Uh, but this one takes a, a, a more kind of uh, narrative form. He talks to a lot of addicts. He goes to a lot of small towns. But he also talks about the revolution that happened in the heroin trade, where this group of people from a, a tiny town in Mexico relocated to, to parts of the U.S. and introduced a new kind of heroin business. It wasn't one that was based on violence. It was one that was based on delivering uh, the, uh, the the goods to the, the customers. Uh, the, um, the people delivering, they weren't users. They were just very clean-cut farm boys from this rural area of Mexico, and they were quickly rotated. And it spread from one city to 25 states in about less than a decade. Uh, and it, but it with just, violence, though, with violence. No, without, no, these guys, no these guys were without... Without violence, they weren't part of the cartel structure. They were doing it on a much smaller scale, but they were manu- they were growing their own opium poppies. They were manufacturing themselves. They were transporting themselves and doing the retail. So they were able to do everything a lot cheaper than the, the cartels were doing. So the prices for their heroin were, you know, sort of 20 or 30 or 40 percent of what was traditionally in the market. Bless your heart. So it's like, you know, like poison yourself with a smile. Yeah, they they essentially um, modelled it on the pizza delivery business, and that's that's what they were doing. The issue is also that in America, that doctors were prescribing opiates as painkillers, making people addicted, but then cutting them off. Yeah, absolutely. And and these guys 
coincidentally was spreading at the same time. So it was uh, it w- it wasn't a, a deliberate thing. So it's quite unique though to America. And so kids out there, don't don't do this at home. But um, could you repeat the name of the book, please? Uh, it's Dreamland, and it's by Sam Quinones. Q U I N O N E S. Have you watched uh, Dope Sick? No, I haven't yet. It's on my to watch list. Yeah, it's supposed to be very good. Have you watched The Mule with uh, Clint Eastwood? Clint Eastwood. Where he played a, a, a man down on his luck who's like 85 and becomes a mule for the, for the cartels. And he does it his way. And he becomes, like the people you've described, more trusted and, and, and yeah. safer because, because he's just an old man who, who actually runs a nursery and things like that. So, yeah, interesting film. Uh, so, uh, Nah, what's your recommendation? Well, I've recommended this before, but it is the final season of a series called The Expanse, which is based on um, very good science fiction books, I hear. And it, it is set in a world which is fantastical, but a couple of hundred years in the future, but very, very relatable and very realistic. It's like um, um, the solar system has been split into three major powers, which is Earth, which controls everything or tries to control everything. Mars, which is very militaristic, and the asteroid belt, which is where all the workers, it's, a, it's more of a working class um, culture. And it's got a lot of intrigue. It's got, it's got the, 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 the Arthur C. Clarke, Kubrickian, um, almost mystical science fiction. As, as, and it all works. You'd think that all these different, differing science fiction elements would not work together in one series, but it does. And it's now the sixth season. So I recommend anybody who wants to to enjoy this this incredible journey should start from season one again and 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 generally watch it because it's it's going to be over it's uh i don't know i haven't finished it yet i don't know whether it's all wrapped up in a nice bow or everything but it is a very it's a very good journey to take if you're a science fiction fan of any kind and uh yeah it's called the expanse it was on sci-fi, and I think it, or it was on something else and it moved to sci-fi, but it doesn't matter. I mean, um, you'll find it. It's, it's, it's a big enough show. Yeah, and, and its uh, representation is amazing to the point that you don't even think about it. You have whole scenes where it's like women of color in the entire scene who are like the main characters pushing things and you don't even notice it anymore. You don't even feel as though, oh, great, they're doing representation. No, it just becomes part of the story because this is a future where, where uh, um, things have evolved to reach that point, there'll be whole times where you will not see a white man <laughs> for two or three scenes, and it doesn't. It, 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 there's nothing unusual about it, even though it's an American show. Have you seen it, Matt? You're nodding. You'd love it, I think. Well, I I started in season one, and then my wife started watching ahead of me, and I've gotten behind with it, so I have to to go back. But I'm uh, I'm currently going through Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, of which there are nearly three hundred episodes. So um, it's uh, the Expanse is uh, is is on the list, but Deep Space Nine has a, a lot of those similar elements as as well. Yes, more grounded. Space opera, but very good. I love this space. And, and also just that, that not relying on, uh, you know, white heroes as well. Uh, you know, the, the, the captain of the spaceship is um, Black American and... Cisco. You know, so, He's one yeah, of my Cisco. favorite Star Trek captains. To tell you oh, absolutely. Because there's an edge to him, which I love. Yes. And, and I missed it in the 90s. So, because I didn't watch TV in the 90s for a whole decade. So I'm still catching up. Cam is, okay, you, this is radio, but Cam is amusingly looking at us and going, oh, they're greeting out. How sweet. <laughs> well, okay, so that's uh, The Expanse. 
The Expanse. Yeah. Okay. And so my recommendation is a real cheat. It is, well, you people laughed at me when I said it was a brand new show, but you're watching <laughs> Deep Space Nine, which is, it's like Buck Rogers. It, you can see the pieces of string holding up the little models. Uh, so Stranger Things is my recommend, recommendation. I thought it was so good. It is very good. It is. I love it. I, I love that show. Yeah. yeah. It I mean, it's fantastic. not just horror and science fiction. You were saying about John Carpenter and all that. And they find a different tone every season. That season three or four, uh, three, I suppose, that you haven't seen yet, they've, they've taken other elements from the 80s and done it well. Like, for example, the whole idea that, that the whole Schwarzenegger era, the, 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 mm. the action hero era where, where mm. villains were huge and muscular and mostly Russian. So they had a whole cliche of Russian villains oh, yeah. in the 80s, the end of the Cold War kind of thing. And it fits really well. Everything fits really well. And if you pay attention, it's not just... It's a lot of 80s callbacks, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that whole Spielbergian element. It, it, it's yeah, it's worth watching. I think yeah, it's, it's got Red Dawn, um, Terminator, uh, the things that things that I recognise. But I'm thinking young people. I guess they, they they just made it seamlessly convincing drama. You don't need to know the reference, but they're just sort of like, and they've watched all the good stuff, so they're going, oh, I'll take that good bit from there and that good bit, and it'll be way good drama. And adults are the fans who have grown, who have become middle-aged, who find themselves um, accepting what's going on or just, 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 just thrown into the mix. So, so that's why it still works for people like us, because we connect with the kids and with the adults. Yeah, but no, no. I mean, I looked at our demographic, your and my age group mm-hmm. uh, in the States, only 6% watched oh, really? Stranger Things. Yeah, okay. uh, a little bit higher. It's like 9% when you get to Matt's group. But... Yeah, yes. Would, we would be queuing up to watch this, but no. But the not. best of that group, I'm sure. We had another best. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the cream. Creme de la creme. But that could be because, as I found out last week, uh, amongst the uh, the demographic that we unfortunately belong to, uh, the DVD by mail rental market in the US is still extremely strong. Yeah. So a lot of people in our age bracket in the States are watching their content on DVD, which they order over the internet and is delivered by mail, and they post the DVDs back once they've watched it. Oh, it's rental via mail. Wow, cool. That's so cool. Um, That's awesome. No, because I've been sort of, I've set up a DVD uh, thing for my mother recently because there's just simply no other format that that she can operate. Just like put the disc in, play, and it goes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Physical buttons. Make a cup of tea and then rewind. You know, <laughs> and, and easy rewind rather than trying to you know do it on, on your I know, And it made me think, hmm, I want to watch DVDs again. Uh, okay, so what that brings us to the end of this week's show where I think, we one, we really got our geek on. Two, we certainly showed our age. And, uh, and I'm proud of it, quite frankly. <laughs> so uh, only remains me now to thank a special honoured guest, Na'a Murad. A pleasure to be here, as usual. And Matt Armitage. Thank you for having me. Oh, pleasure. And we look forward to your um, podcast on Spotify that's going to like just blow away the whole Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> Joe Rogan who? Oh, I wish. <laughs> you can call it the welcome mat. How's that? Oh, no. I don't know. Ah, I'll, I'll give that a go. <laughs> okay. Armin Armitage. Right. Yeah. I, well, I always say, uh, yeah, Armitage. I think you change it to Armitage. You get the Indian market. Yeah, I'll try. Um, Amritaj. <laughs> I have I have been called Amritaj before. I've come, gone to a hotel where they got the uh, the booking wrong and looked at me very strangely and asked me if I was Anglo Indian and how I came by the name Amritaj. 
It's a big market. They're a billion. It's, it would be a nice pseudonym, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and myself, Cam Raslan, and please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.